identity is really kind of uh, much more fluid than what exists on that plastic card, the, what most of us think of as identity on a day-to-day basis. Hi, my name is Kirsten Jowett. I'm a proof of location specialist, and I'm your host for Lay of the Land. In this episode of Lay of the Land, I speak to two individuals who are tackling the very challenging issue of digital identity. It's a bold and noble pursuit and not for the faint of heart. A lot of us in this space see digital identity as the holy grail of Web 3.0. Web 3.0 has no concrete definition, but it's purported to be everything Web 2.0 is not. So things like artificial intelligence and the enablement of global exchange of information or global exchange of value without the need for a middleman will be significant in Web 3.0. So digital ID is important because so many digital applications rely on it as the very most fundamental key to begin interaction that it almost feels like Web 3.0 is on the tarmac waiting to take off until digital ID gets solved. So it's exciting to hear about work that's being done here. The solution my guests are building uses blockchain technology, not to store all of everyone's data on a blockchain, but rather simply as a marker or label or entry point, or as they're calling it, your digital identity wallet that holds the proof behind it. And not just one bit of truth or proof given by a government, but many instances of proof. In the industry, those are called attestations of proof that you are who you say you are. Hence, the name of their company, Attest. My guests today are Jennifer O'Rourke and Cab Morris of Attest. Welcome, Jennifer and Cab. Thanks for having us today. Yep, thank you. Can you tell us about your background and how you got here? Absolutely. I come from a background in financial services and then most recently uh, the public sector where I was with the state of Illinois for a few years, really focusing my time on running with CAB, the state of Illinois' blockchain initiative. Recently, we stepped away from that initiative and formed a test, a digital identity company where uh, I sit as the president and have been really excited to share with you and your audience today the work that we've been doing. But I think um, a bit of background that actually informs that work is some of the particularities that we did focus on while we were with the state of Illinois' blockchain initiative. During our time there, we stood up this initiative that had a focus of three areas, ranging from how the government supported appropriate governance of the technology to how the government helped build the ecosystem for distributed ledgers in the state of Illinois. And lastly, how the government itself was going to incorporate that technology into the services it provided to allow efficiencies and uh, cost savings for constituents and uh, the end user, our citizens. And with that work that we did on the last piece of the strategy there, that integration of the technology into the government, we were able to learn quite a few things that heavily informed the focus that we now have on digital identity. And the first core learning that we walked away with was that Identity itself is not a singular use case, but rather a horizontal uh, layer 
that needs to be accounted for to then solve particular use cases around other government services from land title records to academic credentials to energy credit marketplaces. And with that core learning in mind, we were able to understand that although there were certain solutions in the market that we were very interested in, that there was still some work to be done on the approaches to those solutions to provide a very pragmatic and immediately usable platform. And that's what we've done here is solve for a few of those gaps that we saw in the market while we were with the state in the creation of a test. That's really interesting how you came away with that learning that ID moves across all these different parts of the government and different, what what would you say, solutions or departments? Absolutely. I think what we found was that the current state of identity services, and and it's um, perhaps a, a different way of thinking about it to even call identity services as an area of government, but each each department within government has a responsibility to identify the citizen that they are conveying services to. And in doing so, the government has accidentally created departmental and governmental silos of the way that they identify the end user or the citizen, and therefore the efficiencies that they're able to convey those services and that the the citizen can access their government services with. It's it's duplicative and redundant, and it makes for a really challenged experience for the end user. And at the end of the day, the idea that instead of having these governmental islands across, whether it is a state government or a federal government, that we could essentially leverage a digital identity solution as a horizontal layer that touched all of those particular governmental verticals so that the end user, the citizen, was able to have uh, a more manageable and immediate access to their identity was something that we found to be a great immediate value proposition that now all of the pieces and components um, that that the technology of distributed ledgers provide could allow us to, you know, better convey for that end user citizen. Super. Thanks. And Cab, can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got here? Yeah. And I, I think Jennifer, you know, really hit on that uh, very nicely. And uh, just a little bit of background about myself. Uh, Cab Morris, uh, currently the CEO of Attest. Um, but prior to that, I uh, worked with Jennifer as the strategy lead for the Illinois Blockchain Initiative. Um, also sat in the state of Illinois' digital strategy group. Um, focused a lot as well on uh, some of the regulatory questions that we had for emerging technologies such as uh, blockchain and distributed ledgers. Um, you know, I, I think Jennifer touched upon that really well. We saw this as this kind of unique opportunity to, to really blend a, a very pragmatic approach um, with what's a really exciting technology, but a, a technology that in some instances is really difficult to apply. And, you know, as Jennifer said, um, you know, it, and, and I think extending uh, that a, a bit further, 
I think the best way to think of, um, you know, identity, and we can touch upon this a little bit more later, but it is really kind of uh, much more fluid than what exists on that plastic card, but what we, what most of us think of as identity on a day-to-day basis. And I, I think those silos that Jennifer was talking about within government aren't just uh, a, a government specific problem. Um, you know, it, our, our name exists in millions of databases or thousands of databases across a ton of different service providers, public sector, private sector, virtually in every industry. And I, and I think uh, if we can take pragmatic approaches to um, really um, go towards what I guess we refer to sometimes as small data, um, you know, in, in eliminating you know, the redundancy upon which we share uh things about ourselves with a variety of different industries. Um, you know, we, we saw some really unique opportunities to extend um, trusted government identities uh, to the private sector as well. That's perfect lead into my next question, because we've talked a little bit about government and how you guys have come from government and how this ID would work across government departments. How relevant is it to industry? So do you see a test being the digital identity for everything, government and enterprise, all different aspects of our lives? Yeah, uh, I'd I'd say part to that. And, you know, I think it probably begets a bit of uh, explanation of how our product works, too, to kind of more accurately convey, you know, how we see ourselves uh, bridging that gap for trusted government identity into the the private sector. Um, I think really the best way to describe what a test does, because, you know, in some sense, digital identity is such a kind of amorphous topic. It can mean a million different things to to a lot of different people. So really the best way to think about um, our, our core product is, is really your digital identity wallet. It's a, it's a set of APIs and protocols that allow individuals uh, to retain um, certain attributes about themselves. And to drill down into what that means a little bit deeper, we have a kind of a very discrete set of ways in which um, certain uh, trusted uh, entities, whether it be a government, a financial service uh, institution, or even a hospital, um, can digitally sign and assert information, um, tie that to a cryptographic key that's uh, under the exclusive control of the user or individual, and store that information um, in what we're calling our attest wallet. So it's really a way to wrangle or manage a lot of data that, again, exists in silos today. But we think um, you know, with some careful considerations um, as to, you know, how, how that data is stored, where it's stored, um, what control the users have and how they can recover if something happens uh, to those keys. But we, we think there's a lot of opportunity to um, extend you know, that institutional trust from government into a, a variety of other industries that already rely on that physical card Um in you know to, to to facilitate a lot of their transactions, whether that be um, checking in at a hotel um, or signing up for a bank account, or even um, 
buying certain age-restricted goods. So there's a, a, a wide variety of different ways in which we can um, have institutions uh, issue information that users can store in this digital identity wallet um, and have all the service providers that it, it use that information for uh, to you know, reduce risk in their particular industry or reduce risk for their particular use case. Um, you know, we're, we're really trying to make that match between, um, in some sense, what already exists in the physical world, that, that bearer instrument, that uh, physical card you hand somebody, they, they know. And generally, for the most part, you know, in, 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 most, uh, in most countries, you know, actually trust with a high, you know, highly trust. So, yeah. yeah. So that's a perfect example. Well, you're talking about checking into a hotel with your ID and it leads a little bit into proof of location as well, which is the topic of the podcast. So you touched on where it was stored. So just technically, can we give the listeners a little bit of information about whether it's on a permissioned blockchain or a permissionless blockchain before we go into how it would actually work in a use case? Yep. So really the best way to um, um, kind of describe, you know, where data is actually stored, what actually sits on a blockchain, um, I I think is really important to get into. Um, And this, you know, again, goes back to a lot of our diligence and analysis of, you know, where does actually, where do blockchains make sense? And, you know, what are the core properties of them that are really innovative and, um, to kind of describe just where things sit for the most part um, in our in our current platform, the Attest Wallet. Best way to think of it is no actual personal data or any data for that matter. Um, these digitally signed pieces of information actually sits on a blockchain at all. The, the only uh, thing we use a, a blockchain for is is to create this um, cryptographic identifier. So in some sense, it's a proof of possession attribute. Um, we register proof that you own this uh, specific um, cryptographic key upon which all this information from these issuing parties uh, is associated. Um, that's what's actually stored on uh, a blockchain. We, we use the, we're planning to use the, the Verus One blockchain, which is a bespoke or fit for purpose uh, blockchain. Um, that, that really only handles um, transactions um, uh, for this specific use case. Um, so it's, it's very constrained in terms of the types of data it even accepts. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think if any of the, the, the listeners kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into the, into the actual technology that we're using, it's, uh, it's heavily based on uh, the decentralized identifier specifications and, the verifiable credential specifications are two technologies that are currently being incubated um, at the W3C and then the Decentralized Identity Foundation. So really the, the way in which we use a blockchain or the best way to kind of think about the way we use a blockchain is really a proof that you own a specific key. That's really great. Now, I teach blockchain business strategy at our RMIT here in Melbourne, and I'm always trying to get the students to find the the simple burden that blockchain can remove from their business. And I, I love the simplicity that you've used, choosing just one little part of your solution to be put onto blockchain. Yeah, and um, we think it's really a, a critical part in, in some sense. It's a, uh, 
you know, it, blockchains are are fault tolerant. They're highly available. They're highly resilient networks. And um, the, the way in which users convey these keys when uh, accessing a particular service requires a lot of querying to make sure that they are the ones that, you know, possess that key. And that's really, you know, what we think is a great use case for these highly resilient, highly distributed, uh, uh, you know, append only ledgers. Great. And can I ask you guys, how do you think proof of location will be important to a test? So I think that the best way to kind of think about that is to really open up this concept of identity, um, really almost in, in some sense, the way we like to think of identity and kind of touched upon this uh, uh, just briefly um, a, f- a few minutes ago, but is, is really um, along the lines of kind of breaking that, that worldview of that your identity is just those 15 to 16 attributes that sit on that plastic card. But really thinking uh, of your identity is all the attributes or observations people make about you. Um, we kind of like to make the analogy sometimes that that is, um, you know, identity in some sense is, uh, you know, attributes are like atoms. And if you think of your identity as the collection of those attributes, um, you know, you can think of your identity as kind of you in, in some sense, uh, you know, the collective uh, whole of those atoms. But I, I think really that the way in which we like to think about this question of proof of location is in, in some sense a, a specific attribute um, in the same way that your name uh, is a specific attribute. And um, that proof of location can provide a, a, a variety of, uh, you know, different levels of uh, kind of quality of information in, in, in some sense. Um, so I guess the, the best e- example uh, to, to kind of contextualize what is you know, what seems seems a bit ephemeral um, is um, you know how can we take um, you walking into the to the into your uh, local uh, driver's license office um, they need to uh, you know, prove that you know the documents you are handing over were actually um, associated with you they have a you know m- most uh, most countries have really um, strong and highly vetted processes for, for doing activities like that. Um, but now that we've kind of built this natively digital way to assert that information about you, how do we know that you, you were actually the, the person in at the, at the local uh, driver's office um, actually asserting that information? And I think that's where proof of location can really provide um, powerful metadata um, that allows, uh, you know, again, that went bound to this uh, cryptographic key that you control, um, provides a really powerful set of assertions about who you are, um, who who vetted who you were at the time, and that you were actually the person there being vetted. And, uh, you know, we think that's a kind of really powerful um, way to uh, you know, again, uh, add in more things uh, about you that, it, you know, ultimately in the end, allow parties that need that information to give you access to certain things. Um, going back to the hotel can actually know that the information that the 
you're sending them is um, actually has been associated with you. Right. That's really interesting. So it's part of the solution. The location can be in a way that you have the government saying, yes, this person has a driver's license because I've seen their birth certificate and all these different documents. I suppose that's in the first world we're talking about. The, the third world is a whole nother conversation. Um, but you're you're planning for it to work in Illinois first, I assume? We'll be focusing heavily on, on the U.S. market first, but I, I think there's a lot of um, uh, interesting ways in which you could integrate in um, those proof of location um, attributes in very much the same way, maybe just in different contexts. So whether they're performing uh, some sort of uh, in-person transaction, you know, at least in the, in the U S and um, more, more established or developed markets, there's, you know, capacity to, um, you know, there's, there's procedures and institutions that, uh, that kind of exist for that. But I think as uh, emerging markets have kind of very different dynamics and, and grow up in, uh, in much more of a digital age, I think there's very interesting ways in which that, um, you know, that, that the new form of institutional ID um, in this kind of newer, uh, uh, more fluid market can still have the same veracity behind it as a, you know, as what we have in, um, you know, certain developed countries. So I, I think that there's some kind of really interesting and, and unique ways in which you can take the same procedural concepts, but apply that with, uh, you know, apply that within different contexts, um, but really still achieving the same end goal of um, using information about you that somebody else has attested to, uh, to achieve certain, whether it be economic, healthcare, or, you know, a variety of other, um, transactions, which at the end of the day, you know, ultimately reduces, um, uh, counterparty risk. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you're almost de-risking a transaction. You're making it more secure, less risky. Yeah, and our in our theory over time is that um, the, the the more information um, you, you bind in this way um, actually will allow you uh, with greater authenticity to send less information. So if we can associate more information with uh, identifiers that are uh, a bit more private. Um, we can still achieve the same goal of de-risking the transaction with actually uh, providing a lot less information. Um, you know, that's a, that's a long way off because, you know, the, the world still has to, to work, um, you know, in, in the way that in some sense is very much constrained by that plastic card. But, um, you know, we, we think that there's a lot of kind of interesting ways to, again, bind all this information in this way, but um, use kind of unique um, and emerging techniques to reduce uh, the, the amount of data that you're actually passing along, but that counterparty still has the same um, uh, same uh, kind of level of vetting or, or de-risking. It's just uh, a bit more um, efficient and, you know, allows for a lot more flexibility and, and privacy as well. Yeah, it sounds really utopian. I think a lot of 
proof of location and blockchain technology in the future can often slip into a dystopian black mirror episode. But this sounds really, you know, positive and optimistic. I've heard this digital ID talked about in, in a way, for example, what you're talking about, not sharing too much information, the utopian part of it sounds to me like the example is you go to a bar and you try to get in and they ask you for your age and you show them your driver's license, but it's just all they really need is your birthday, but instead you're giving them your address and your middle name and everything as well. So with something like a test, are you saying that you just need, you'll, you'll just be able to show them a small part of your ID? Yep. And um, I think that the, the, the best way to think about that as well is um, in, in many sense, so you can reduce or minimize the amount of data that you're actually sharing, um, but uh, also hopefully reducing the footprint of that data as well. So you can share it in very constrained contexts so that um, the, the, the bar that is receiving that digitally on the other side um, can't use all of the additional information to correlate you and or sell that data for a variety of other contexts. So we, we think it, it starts to um, touch upon um, some of the information asymmetries that we think are really a function uh, less of, in some sense, who controls the specific parts of the data, but just the um, information asymmetries that come about of, you know, some of these uh, kind of, we'll, we'll call them advertising-based uh, business models to, to be judicious. <laughs> That's fair. So proof of location is adding to the ID, and it's also giving authority to the individual um, to access certain privileges and rights. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's a really kind of uh, interesting way to um, to, to think about it. And um, I, I think it's a really powerful attribute um, to uh, add to this profile of information that you're sharing with your hospital. And I, I think there's kind of a, a variety of different ways to think about how that attribute can be valuable in, in different contexts, um, but in, in, in different ways as well. It can even... Um, provide, you know, just thinking of a kind of a, a different use case um, in context of healthcare that you went and got and received an, an MRI, you could, you know, add a proof of location attribute to the transaction that happens um, when you actually go to the facility and check in and receive the claim. And the underwriter of the insurer can build that into their insurance model, basically say that that actually was substantiated because not only um, did that facility actually register uh, the information about you that you received the MRI, but you were also actually the one there. And I think that's a really powerful uh, capacity to add to these kind of wide value chain of transactions as we start to think about um, you know, the, the ways in which private, private sector companies, government really any organization can can use these types of processes to you know ultimately reduce fraud um, reduce risk as, as we've mentioned but also um, more articulately map their uh, costs and uh, forecasting in some ways 
that kind of leads into my next question as well, perfectly leads into my next question. How do you think the lay of the land will look for proof of location and digital ID in the next five years? So what would a day in the life be like if you had a test? Um, I, I think, you know, and, and this is very much built into kind of our beliefs about how this works. Um, I, I think it's going to be a very kind of gradual progression where um, users are going to start to see more information um, that uh, was opaque and in a variety of different, whether it be credit reporting databases, government databases, they're going to have a lot more insight as to where their actual data sits and in what context that, that can be used. And I, I think it's going to be this kind of gradual pro- progressive shift um, underneath the covers in, in many sense because we, we do a lot of identity interactions on a day-to-day basis, but we don't generally think about them as identity interactions. And, you know, where we can really get this right is to continue to, to use that model in, in, in many sense, where the, the user just uh, logs in to a website, logs into their bank account, and all the protocols beneath the surface uh, request that information from the from the the government that they need it from or the hospital that they need it from and programmatically pass it along to that party that needs that information to perform that transaction in real time. So I, I think the best way to kind of think about it is over time, we'll see this kind of very gradual progression and it's not going to be this kind of big in your face, di- you know, disruption. Over time, I think it's going to be this kind of oh, I forgot I used to have to take a picture of my driver's license on my phone and upload it to my bank. It's just going to be there and uh, easy to use. Yeah, we really forget how different things are five years ago, what they're like now. This podcast is a perfect example that we can be recording on the web, talking in Chicago and Australia at the same time with ease. And what are you most excited about for the future of a test? Can you talk to us a little bit about your roadmap for the coming year? Definitely. So I think Cab did a really good job of touching upon the approach we're taking to providing usable, pragmatic solutions. Some of the areas where I think we've watched this space be a bit challenged by are the excitement around what this technology will enable in five to 10 to 15 years. And that is incredibly exciting. And we appreciate that excitement. But what we really want to focus on right now are what I would qualify as a bit more of the mundane or the boring. It's these opportunities to really bridge the value that government issued uh, identity credentials provide to the private sector. CAD talked a little bit about various industries such as um, healthcare or insurance and being able to work with government partners to provide these government-issued credentials into the attest wallet so that they can be received and utilized by a variety of private sector uh, partners uh, is something that we are very excited about. 
those use cases may be more at the enterprise level where it isn't as thrilling to think about how the end user tomorrow will be able to access this, you know, uh, completely ubiquitous form of digital identity. But these small building blocks um, that are going to provide value to that end user, as well as those public uh, de- government departments and, and private enterprises, th- those building blocks that, that we are focused on and, and working through projects right now and, and definitely into next year, that is the work that allows for the vision of five to 10 years down the road where you do have a portfolio of value adding natively digital identity credentials that sit in your wallet that now allow that the individual, that end user to more seamlessly interact with both governments and companies to have a a significant degree of efficiencies around the services that they're receiving and that expectation of how they receive the services. So I would say that I'm most excited about, you know, doing the work this coming year that that might not um, make the big headlines, but that builds towards this incredible future state that, that we get excited about. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. And where should people go to follow your work, get in touch and find out more about a test? Yeah. So we would love to hear from anyone with your questions and your thoughts. So the easiest way to get a hold of us is going to be on Twitter at a test ID and also at our website, myattestid.com where we have a variety of um, communication mechanisms that allow us to, to hear your, your thoughts and get in touch and, and really kind of drill into the opportunities and the questions that you will have about how you can use this technology. Super. Thank you. Thanks, Cab. Thanks, Jennifer. Yep. Thank you. I re- really appreciate the time and you know, very much look forward to uh, you know sharing uh sharing our progress in the future. It's a really exciting uh, time in this space and uh, really, really happy to share a little bit more about what we're doing. Yeah, likewise, this was a great opportunity to just have this conversation with you, but to be able to share it with everyone. So thank you for that. I'm really looking forward to staying in touch. This podcast is not financial advice. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation, and other advice to check how this podcast relates to your unique circumstances. The makers of this podcast are not liable for any loss caused, whether due to negligence or otherwise arising from the use of or reliance on the information provided directly or indirectly in this podcast. The mention of any company, currency, exchange, or person is not an endorsement of that entity. See you next time on Lay of the Land.